Hi, friends. Uh, please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Acts 4, 1 through 17 says this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Anas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, but what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you, healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Praise God for the word. Uh, let me get myself situated. I'm getting older, so I need a few more things. Potentially glasses. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Um, so, good morning, Park Hill Church. It is an absolute pleasure to be here with you all today. Um, my name is Tanika Wyatt, and my husband, Jason, and I are marriage and family pastors here. And it has been an honor to um, serve you all, be served by you, to love you, and to be loved by you. And uh, we are just so grateful for our Park Hill family and our growing family. I love seeing new faces and people whose names I'm still learning. Um, so if you have been tracking with us the past few weeks, you'll know that we are in the book of Acts. And um, depending on the translation you read, your Bible might say the Acts of the Apostles. Um, as we get into the book, we see right away that it is not just the apostles acting, but it is the acts of the apostles and followers of Jesus as they are empowered by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the believer is essential. I, I just want you all to know, as we read this, we are an extension of this movement, of this church, of this people. This is the origin. When we read Acts, this is where it all starts. Um, 
And so in our earliest intro to this book, we talked about, uh, we talked about Acts being a part of um, a two-series book, uh, if, you, if you will, by Luke. The Dr. Luke wrote the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Luke, similar to the other gospels. And it ends with Jesus being crucified. You know, if you know the gospels, you know the story. They're pretty similar. It ends with Jesus being crucified, buried, um, resurrecting, appearing to his disciples and some others, and then spending a little time with them, a little more time um, before ascending into heaven. And his disciples then take everything that they've learned from him. They go um, as he has commanded. They go to Jerusalem to wait for this Holy Spirit gift that they're not really sure what it is and how, you know, how, how it's supposed to work. But then they realize that, that the Holy Spirit himself is God who has come with them um, in spirit form. And so that gift that is the Holy Spirit, it is power, the gift itself. He is power straight from the throne room of God. God himself equipping them to be witnesses of Jesus. And he's doing the same thing in us, through us today. Let's pause and pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love and your kindness. We thank you that you have been good to us. God, that you are good to your people, that you love us, that you are concerned about us. God, that you've come to save us, that Jesus now saves us. And Father, we pray against every distraction, everything that comes to take away from the, the spirit um, the movement that you have for us today, your design for us, the words that you want to fill our hearts with, the joy, the encouragement, God, the power that you have for us today. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would fill this room. God, that as we read your words, God, as we um, speak what you've given us even, God, that your spirit would work in the hearts and minds of your people today. In Jesus' name, we just love you and we honor you. We thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you all excited that the Spirit of God is here today? He's here. He's, he, he's here. I just want you to know that. Um, you know, today we are going to talk about that power, that power that I just mentioned kind of as an intro. We're going to talk about that power that, um, that comes through the name of Jesus, the Christ. Um, and our key verse is Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, if you remember in last week's text, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John encountered a man who had been lame from birth, and he was sitting at the temple gate, um, and he was, he was begging. Everyone knew this man and his impairment. As the scripture says, that he was carried to the temple gates daily, okay, to ask for money. We don't know how many times Peter and John encountered this man, how many times they saw him. 
Um, but we know that the man was there every day, and this was not Peter and John's first time likely passing this way through the temple. But for whatever reason, on this particular day, the man sees them, the Bible says, and they see him, and as usual, he asked for money, as he had done every day before, not expecting anything more than a few coins. But today, Peter said, I don't have any money, but I can give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, as we read last week, Peter grabs his hand. The man jumps up. He's leaping. He's running. He's no doubt in amazement and awe as everybody else who is watching this, right? What do you think was more valuable to this man? He was now more than 40 years old and had been lame from birth. He had never experienced independence. He could not support a family. His entire life he had been carried from place to place, dependent on others for income, relegated to a low social status, you name it. There was so much impact in the ancient world for a person being lame. But he would have been content with money, right? And probably never expected to be healed. But that day, Peter and John didn't have money to give him. It is sometimes in the absence of the thing that we think we need that we find God. We think we need the relationship to work out. We think we need the promotion on the job, more money in the bank. We think we need the right opportunity, the right connection and network. But what we really need is salvation to break through and transform our way of being. And that's what happened for this man that day. Sometimes God wants to do more than what we've asked for, but we've never seen it before. We've never experienced it before, so we don't even know what to ask or how to ask for whatever the thing is that we need. And sometimes we just need to say, Lord, your will be done. I trust you to give me what you know I need. And so God, in his abundant love and grace and mercy for this man today, gave him something that he didn't even know he could have, something he didn't even ask for. But God, through the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, using his men that day, who, who woke up that morning, and I believe they said yes to Jesus, I believe something in them said, God, whatever you want me to do today, I'm going to do it. Whatever you have for me today, I'm going to say yes to it. And because Peter and John got up that morning, that day, submitted to Jesus, saying yes to his spirit and obeying the spirit as he spoke to them, they didn't fumble around in their uh, pockets for a dollar, but they gave this man Jesus, and he was healed. So we know from chapter three what happens next. 
The whole town is filled with excitement and in, in an uproar, rightfully so, right? And Peter takes the opportunity to preach to the crowd, and he says, fellow Israelites, why did this, does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see. Peter says, y'all know us. <laughs> you know we're fishermen. You know it's not by our own power. Peter proclaims faith in Jesus and that this man's healing was done by faith in that name. While many people believed Peter's message and they were added to the church and it was a glorious day for the church, notice this, that at the same time, the same people who opposed Jesus, they now oppose Peter and John. In fact, to say they opposed Jesus is really an understatement because these same folks were responsible for executing Jesus. You might recognize some of these names, Annas and Caiaphas, in the text from earlier Gospels. These men were part of the Sanhedrin and they were responsible for executing Jesus. And now they have Peter and John in their grips and they've cornered them to interrogate them about what just happened. And that brings us to chapter four, where we are today. The religious leaders, elders, and teachers of the law ask them in verse seven, by what power or what name did you do this? They had no concern about the man's livelihood and, uh, and how this impacted him. They didn't talk much about that, if at all. They went right to, how are you doing this? By whose power was this man healed? How can this be? And I want you to notice that in this text, it's not a, it's not a matter of if, but how. Maybe you heard last week's teaching, does God still heal today? And, and maybe you heard that and you say, you know, I'm still not sure where I land. You might be grappling with that still, still struggling with very personal questions of if God will heal me or my loved ones, if God will deliver me out of my storm, if God still does miracles, if I can believe God today to do what he did back then, is God still doing those things? But the question here in this text was not if. They saw it with their own eyes. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have, that they have performed a notable sign, according to Acts chapter 4, verse 16. And we cannot deny it, the Bible says. So the big question wasn't if, but how? By whose authority? And so Peter and John responded, filled with the Holy Spirit. They answered, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, 
that this man stands before you healed. Just in case you forgot which Jesus, just in case you forgot and don't remember that he himself stepped out, stepped out of the grave with all power in his hand and he was dead, but now he is alive forevermore with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Just in case you don't remember which Jesus we proclaim, it is that Jesus who empowers us today to do what we cannot do in our own human strength. It is by faith and power in the name of that Jesus that this man is walking and leaping and running in the temple that his whole life has been changed and transformed. And they unashamedly call Jesus the Christ, which is to say the Messiah. For those of you who may not be sure uh, what Messiah means, what that title is. Messiah is God's savior they've been longing for. They knew exactly what the disciples, the apostles were saying when they called Jesus the Christ. He is the one who would bring not only physical healing, but every kind of healing, all relationships, God, others, ourselves, the creation, all things being restored. This is what the Messiah would bring. And Jesus, he is that Messiah. Jesus was and is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the long-awaited hope of Israel and now the savior of the entire world. And please don't miss the fact that Paul, that Peter and John were filled with the Spirit. The scripture doesn't say Peter and John who had been filled with the Spirit a couple chapters ago. It doesn't say, oh, remember Peter and John who already have the Spirit dwelling in them. But they were filled with the Spirit in that moment to be bold. As followers of Jesus, we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit fills us again and again and again and that he empowers us to represent him in the earth. We need the Spirit of God to do what God has called us to do. We cannot do these things alone by our own will, our own good works, but we need the Holy Spirit power. As a side note, you know, God does not call us to do things in our own strength. You know, yes, he's gifted us and we have certain talents and abilities that are God-given. But your willpower, your good habits, your discipline, they are not enough to live godly. You can abstain from things, but that doesn't make your heart right. That doesn't reconcile you to Jesus. Your willpower, good habits, discipline, they cannot make you holy. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. So they tell these leaders that Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. And he has become the cornerstone. This was not just them quoting Isaiah. 
It was not a generic statement or an all-inclusive all general you, you know how we say you people. This, no, this was very specific. The people that they are addressing, these folks standing right in front of them, they are the ones who rejected and demanded that Jesus be executed. But God had the cross as a part of his plan. And he raised up Jesus, his son, so that he would become the chief cornerstone, the foundation of our faith, and the firstborn of the dead. This is not the first time we're hearing this quote from Isaiah in the New Testament. Jesus mentioned it in Matthew 21, 42 through 45, referencing himself. And then Peter says more about this in his letter. Remember, Peter is the one responding and so we have Peter's letters later on in the New Testament. And so in 1 Peter, um, 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that causes them to fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. To those who don't believe, Jesus is offensive. And he causes them to trip and stumble. For those of us who do believe Jesus is precious. For those of us who love him, who have experienced him, who have been called by his name, Jesus is beautiful. But Jesus did say some offensive things. I, I have to admit, <laughs> there are times as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I'm like, are you sure about that, Lord? That don't quite sound right to me and my people <laughs> and the culture right now. Are you sure that's what you're asking me to do? Sometimes Jesus is offensive. Like saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus had the audacity to claim that there was no other way to God except through him. And here are his disciples who sat under his teaching, who lived, ate, walked with him, saw him do miracles. They were eyewitnesses to his life, to his death, his resurrection. Now they proclaim, yeah, he was right. He was right. He was God in the flesh. He is the only way. And then now they go on by the power of the Spirit to say, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That is offensive today. I know y'all have seen, you might even have the coexist bumper sticker on your car. 
it's okay. I'm not saying anything about it or against it. But what I'm saying is we would much rather just quietly coexist than to proclaim that Jesus is the only way. What do you mean the only way? He's a, he's a good option, right? No, the only way. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I don't know if that's a tough piece of meat for you to digest or if you are processing that really beautifully and you're like, I agree. I guarantee this is a mixed crowd. Even on a, on a Sunday in a church, there are some of us who follow Jesus, who name the name of Christ, who still don't really want to say Jesus is the only way, the only way? Is there something else I can do? Is there another possibility? They started off talking about healing. But this was so much more than a lame man walking. This isn't just about a change in status in the earthly realm. This is not just physical healing, as powerful as that is, but Jesus saves us. Jesus is God's plan to make all things right, our relationship with God, with ourselves, our own bodies, and others, and all creation, which includes physical healing. And it oftentimes happens right now, just like we saw in the text today, and just like in the lives of many of you um, in these seats who have testimonies of God's healing, power, miracles in your physical body. But it is most certainly beyond this life. Whether or not you experience healing in this life, you will, if you follow Jesus, experience healing, true salvation and restoration in the life to come. This life, this body will one day grow weak and tired. This life will end. Our days here are numbered, but we have hope in Jesus beyond this life. Salvation can be found in no one else. God doesn't just come to give us a temporary fix, but he's here today to save us. And only Jesus offers true salvation. Only Jesus offers true salvation. He is the firstborn of the dead. And when we are buried with him in baptism, when we receive his name and we allow his blood to be applied to our lives, then we follow him in resurrection. It's so much more than today my head hurts and God has healed me. It's so much more than God taking cancer away. While those are wonderful things, God comes to give us so much more than that. Are you ready for more than that? For more than that. This word salvation is used more than a hundred times in the scriptures. Let's hear more about what the scriptures say on salvation. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And if you want to, I don't mind you maybe even just closing your eyes and, and, and listen to the words of the scriptures, several Psalms, Old and New Testament. Meditate on these words. Let them resonate with you. Feel these words in your heart and in your mind. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's by Jesus, the Messiah. Come, let us sing for the joy to the Lord. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing that salvation. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for being that salvation. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for being that salvation. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Jesus, for being my salvation. Because not everybody was included in the eyes and plans of people. Thank you, Jesus, that you thought of me, that you considered me in your plan of salvation. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming my salvation. And this last verse is the words, they are the words of Jesus. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you have become our salvation. Salvation brings healing and so much more. 
Healing is only a byproduct of salvation. Salvation, our rescue, our reconciliation with God, our living eternally with him forever and ever, that is the end game. Salvation is the end game. And as the disciples proclaimed Jesus' name with power and authority, these religious leaders recognize this spirit because remember they've encountered Jesus before they've been here before they recognize this spirit and although these men Peter and John and many others were uneducated ordinary people they recognize that they must have been with Jesus they were beginning to talk like him They started sounding like him. They started using the same words that he used. They acted like him. They began to do what Jesus did. They must have been with Jesus. To impact our world, we must be with Jesus. We must be filled with the Spirit. We must become like him and do what he did. I know this is not unfamiliar territory to us at Park Hill that we aim to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And let me tell you, it only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're praying today. It's no secret. We're going to get to a prayer movement, and we believe that God is going to fill us again with his Spirit. We're praying now that God would empower us to do what he did, to be like him, to be with him, and to do what he did. What do you believe about Jesus? Is he a stumbling block for you? Are you offended by him? Or is he precious to you? Is there something in the way of your relationship with him? Or has his salvation become irresistible to you? Are you certain about salvation in Jesus alone or are you still doubting, maybe have some questions? Is there something else or someone else that you're trusting for abundant life? Is there a substance that you're trusting in for peace? Is there a person that you cannot be without? Is there an idol that you have put above your devotion to God and your relationship with him? Or have you said yes to Jesus, trusting that he is the only way? Again, I know we're all over the, we're we're, we're all over the gamut. We might feel like we're a little bit of both. Like, God, I trust you, but but I I don't always know how. I want to believe, but help my unbelief. I trusted you in that moment, but this is a new moment. I've never been here before. This is weird. It's strange. God, are you in this? Are you leading me? Are you with me? Have you forsaken me? Have you abandoned me? Have you forgotten about me? I want to encourage you that it is by the power of God's spirit. 
That's why we pray daily, God, fill me again. I need to be renewed again. I cannot live on yesterday's testimony and story. Last Sunday was great. I got healing at the altar. God has done some things in my life and my relationship. But today somehow is a new day and I need you again. I need new mercies again. Good news. Great is God's faithfulness. He gives new mercies every morning, new mercies every morning. He has a a fresh wind ready and, and waiting for you every day. The spirit cannot be exhausted. I know you might have used up a lot of it last week. You might have spent a lot of time with Jesus last week and the spirit was really moving and you're like, man, that was great. I really needed that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He'll do it again. He's here again. He's still here today. You know, um, just as a kind of sidebar a little bit about me, I work in healthcare. And I've worked in um, the healthcare field for more than 20 years, close to 30. Um, I hesitate to say that because I'm only like 34, but um, anyway, not really. (laughs) Um, I'm not a doctor or a nurse, but because I've worked in healthcare for a really long time, I've heard a lot of stories, Um, a lot of good stories, a lot of not so good stories. In fact, when I tell people where I work, they usually either have great news for me or they say something like, oh, they killed my grandma. And I'm like, dang, I am so sorry. It was not me. And I pray that she knew Jesus. I mean, it's amazing what happens at Corner Bakery at lunchtime. But anyway, um, there are a lot of good people, phenomenal doctors, nurses, scientists, and researchers who are doing great work. And I decided to contribute to that work in a small way in the mental health field. And so I went back to school a few years ago to get my master's in marriage and family therapy and um, got a degree last last year. And I was working. Thank you. I'm a work in progress. Y'all pray for me. Lay your hands. Point your hands this way. Um, But I was work. I got the opportunity to work in psychiatry at a local medical office and deal with patients um, directly and one-on-one and to counsel and and whatnot. And I'm certainly no expert, but I've talked to a lot of experts in the medical field, primary care, as well as mental health. And I understand that medications have their place. You know, if if there's something you need, get it. God has blessed us. Um, Tools and practices are good. There are people and things that God has given us for our benefit and to help us heal. But let me tell you, even the most extraordinary doctors are still just practicing. The best therapy in the world can only point you into the right direction and help you tap into what God is already doing and what God has already given you. God is the ultimate healer. Now, obviously, I'm an advocate for health 
care, health, uh, health and wellness, um, therapy, all the things, all the things. But I have to remind myself even because we as people with our degrees and our knowledge and our expertise, we have limitations. And we can do our best work and nothing good happen. We can do our worst work and God do a miracle. It's not in our hands. We do what we can with what we have. But God is the miracle worker. God is the healer. He is the one alone who brings salvation. God is the ultimate healer. He is the only one who truly saves. He heals deep wounds that doctors cannot see. He reconciles and he brings dead things back to life. It is a bold statement to make, but Jesus said it himself, and I will echo those words. He is the only way to life, and he has receipts to prove it. Jesus is the only way. Now, I hope this doesn't sound like a sales pitch for Jesus. I am his girl, so I do talk about him a lot. I do love him. <laughs> I do pump him up because he's been good to me. But it's not a sales pitch. I'm not trying to like sell you something that's false or fake. You know, I'm not here to tell you that when you come to Jesus that all your problems are going to be solved. I still got some that I'm waiting to be solved. All your illnesses, I can't tell you all your illnesses will be healed. Your bank accounts will overflow with money. I still got room in mine. You know, please feel free to let the Lord use you. Um, and, and I can't say that all of our broken relationships are going to be restored. No, this message acknowledges the state of people that we are broken. We are hurting. We mess up daily. And most people are doing the best they can with what's in front of them. I really believe that. No doubt there were many others who were sick and lame around the temple that day that that man was healed. They witnessed this man's healing, and I'm pretty sure some of them wondered, well, why not me? Why didn't they do that for me? I've asked them for money, and they gave me coins. Why not me? Or when? When will it be me? Maybe I'll go to the gate at that same place next time. Maybe God's going to do that for me. This message acknowledges that many of us have gone as far as we can go on our own. This man did what probably most others would do at that time. Y'all Carry me to the, it's Tuesday. Take me there to the gate again. It's Wednesday. It's Thursday. All right. It's the Sabbath. Y'all, carry me to the gate. That's all I can do. That's all that is expected of me as a lame man. Let me see what can happen as I ask for money. This is what I do. This, he, he didn't expect much more than that. We've stopped, many of us have gone as far as we can go on our own, and we've stopped in front of the temple gates 
We haven't gone in because we can't. We have no access. We've settled for the best we can do in this life. But Jesus has come to save us in this life and in the life to come. Jesus came to the earth, God in the flesh. He lived as a human being. He felt our temptations and all of our longings, all of our emotions, our grief. He taught us how to live. He showed us the way to eternal life. Then he was crucified because he disrupted people's plans. They didn't like his messages because they didn't fit neatly into, his, into their boxes. But that was all part of God's plan for Jesus to die, taking on the sins of the world. What had been done and what would be done. What you and I did just a few minutes ago, earlier this morning or yesterday, the sins that we have committed. He took the weight of all of those things with him to the cross. He died. He was buried. And then he rose again. He went back to heaven so that now you and I would have access. Now through Jesus alone, we have access to God. We have eternal life. We have salvation. And it's not just something we wait for when we die, but it breaks through now. He empowers us by his spirit to do the things that he did. So when you are healed, when the things that happen are undeniable, you know it's Jesus. You know it has to be Jesus. So today I want to invite you into two things. We're going to get ready to um, gather together on the sides of the room and even in our seats if you wish for prayer. But two things. First, there's the invitation to believe in the name of Jesus. Believe in the name of Jesus for healing of any kind, healing of every kind, and believe Jesus for salvation. That's our first call. And I'm going to ask our um, singers and musicians to come back. So if you have not received Jesus, he's here. If you have tried what you can and you keep bumping up against a wall and you're like, man, what is going on? Jesus has paved the way. He's gone ahead of us. He's here. And he's welcoming you. He invites you into the throne of grace to obtain mercy. So there's the salvation call. Second, 
I want to invite you. If you do believe in Jesus, you believe in the name of Jesus, I invite you to ask that the Holy Spirit fill you afresh today with power to live like Jesus. Power to love like Jesus. To have a sound mind like Jesus. Not just relying on what he did yesterday, but today, right now. God, fill me with your spirit again. I'm going to ask that you all stand. God, fill us with your spirit again. God, as we prepare to spend time together in prayer and at the communion tables, may we be very aware of the presence of your spirit. May we be aware, God, that you are here, that you are after us, that you have been after us. God, surely your goodness and your mercy have followed us all the days of our lives. God, when we were not good, you've been good. God, when we were not merciful to our friends, our family members, you were merciful to us. You've been kind, oh God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus who lowered himself below angels, came in the flesh, got to live the mundane, ordinary life of a human. Thank you that you loved us enough to dwell among us, not just to sit high above us, but you loved us enough to come and be with us, to be like us, so that we could be like you. Father God, I pray for the hearts of your daughters and sons, your people. God, even passers-by, people who showed up here maybe by mistake <laughs> and wondering why they've stayed this long. But it's because you're here and you have a plan for them, God. God, I pray that you would speak words of clarity over them. God, that healing would break forth. Your anointing would break forth. That resurrecting power would break forth. In the name of Jesus, God, have your way in your people. We love you. 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 And we thank you. God, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Thank you. Amen.